welcome back to Blind Spots. This is the Film Inquiry podcast wherein the two hosts each share a film with each other that one loves and the other person has not seen in the hopes that the film has a new fan as well. And we have a very special special episode for many reasons. A, this is our 10th episode. We've uh, finally hit uh, this huge milestone. And also, this is another one of our special double episodes to tie in with the real-life holiday that uh, we're recording this around. In this case, is Valentine's Day. So we'll be uh, doing an episode all about, uh, I guess it's a theme of forbidden love. Anyways, I am one of the hosts, Jake Tropila, and I'm joined by my other host, Christy Strauss. Christy, how are you doing this late evening afternoon? Um, which may or may not be actually Valentine's Day. We won't, we won't let you know. You'll have to guess. But I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much. Hope you've had a, had a, had a good week, good month since we've last recorded an episode. But uh, I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, me too. This was uh, this one's I'm super excited about. It. I think we picked a, a great four films. Yeah. Well, uh, we have a lot to cover. Without further ado, do you want to introduce our first film for the evening? Yeah. Uh, so my first film was Jane Eyre. Um, this is the 2011, because it's obviously a Charlotte Bronte novel that's been adapted many times, but it's specifically um, Carrie Fukunaga's, and it stars Mia Wasikowska and Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender, mm-hmm. he's so good in this, um, as, you know, the grumpy Mr. Rochester. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know the story, she's uh, an orphan child, and she basically is, like, cast out from her family, goes to a school, gets an education, and eventually takes a job as a governess at uh, his estate. And there's, like you said, kind of not really forbidden love here, but definitely kind of on that theme. And we didn't do that on purpose. just happened like that, which is always fun. And basically, you know, there's they fall in love. There's some weird stuff going on that's explained later. Is there a ghost in the house? Um, and, yeah, so it's, it's basically just their love story, which, again, if you don't know the story, is really, really brooding. <laughs> like, is that the best word for that? Um, like a lot of those older novels. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. that's just a quick, quick um, description. So what did you think when you first watched it? Yeah, I I liked this movie. Um, I really liked it, uh, and this is a film I've always been uh, familiar with. Um, I it's funny because watching it, I I distinctly recall seeing trailers for it all over the place in uh, 2011, uh, which was the year I moved to LA. So every like repertory cinema had a trailer for this movie at one point. So like I was I was seeing moments from the trailer pop up in the context of the film, and I just I was just like, oh hey, there's that bit. Um, but uh, I uh, yeah I really liked it. Um, it's directed by Kerry Joji Fukunaga, who uh, has a special place in my heart because he is uh, directing the next Bond film, No Time to Die, uh, and this is also the first feature film of his that I've seen, um, discounting the complete first season of True Detective, which I have also seen. But uh, yeah, this which is awesome. Um, yeah, right, it's, uh, it, check it out. Um, but yeah, this is uh, you mentioned. Just right off the bat, like, Fassbender, this is, I remember, a year where he was really just having, like, the best year of his life. Because he did this, he did, uh, I think he was in X-Men First Class, which I liked him in. He was also in Shame, uh, which came out later that year, uh, the infamous Steve McQueen NC-17 sex addiction movie, uh, which he's phenomenal in. But, yeah, he's excellent, and Mia is excellent. Um, it's uh, it's interesting because... Uh, 
one of my biggest blind spots in life, I guess you could say, is any of these classic romance novels. Like any this this anything by uh, Jane Austen. Like I am just such a a philistine, I guess you could say, when it comes to these these stories and adaptations. So I really knew nothing about it going in, and yeah, walking away from it, I was actually uh, quite pleasantly surprised how much I loved it and. Uh, how how great care into making this a very handsomely mounted uh, picture that uh, Carrie Joji does. Yeah, and, and I do love. I mean, I that isn't a blind spot. I have seen, um, even though they keep making so many like Jane Austen mm-hmm. remakes and stuff. I have seen most and enjoyed most, um, but mm-hmm. they don't always, you know, they don't always work. And this is just one that as soon as I saw it, I just fell in love with it. I think it's a, a really beautifully shot film. Um, scored and obviously, you know, the performances are just amazing. They're, you know, for anyone also who hasn't seen it, you know, Michael Fassbender's character is not, you know, particularly nice or easy to get along with, um, let's say. And so their relationship as it develops and, and they, they have this kind of, um, passion, but they're not acting on it. It's mm-hmm. just kind of simmering, you know, under the surface and it's, just wonderful. Like the conversations between the two of them are some of my favorite scenes. They're just so good. And, and both of them embody those characters so well. I think this actually is my favorite, um, with, with Mia being Jane Eyre. I think that's her, the best portrayal of it that I've seen. And it has been adapted several times. So I, I really do, uh, love this film. But is there anything in particular other than what we've already discussed with how amazing these two performers are? Um, anything else that stood out to you about the story or the movie? I don't know how yeah, familiar you, you were before you watched it. Like, have you ever seen any other adaptations? Obviously, you, you've read the book. You know, you're a huge fan. No, yeah. Again, <laughs> I I, uh, I had not seen a single or read a single piece on Jane Eyre, so I I was not uh, I I was unfamiliar with everything. I like like I said that uh, the 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 pocket of films that uh, encompass the, uh, for lack of the better term, the period costume drama romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, those I'm just, I'm just, I have no, no idea where to even begin, who has written what, <laughs> what the, what, you know, the narratives are for each, but, um, that makes yeah, it even was, better. Uh, it's like super blind spots. Exactly. Yeah. This <laughs> is introducing me to a, a subgenre that I, I have barely dipped my toes in, but, um, yeah, the, uh, the dialogue you said is, uh, is good, is, is, is really, is really great. Um, particularly when, yeah, I love um, it. It's it's uh she first meets Mr. Rochester uh nearly gets him killed because she startles his horse and he sprains his uh, leg in the woods he rides off uh later he's recovering by this fireplace in his estate and uh, everybody is sort of watching these two have a conversation and it's a very a very witty repartee that they have back and forth um almost kind of like a, a fencing match where they <laughs> each keep trying to pierce the other person's armor but the other person fires back with something better. And you can kind of see him sort of softening under under her under her spell, for lack of a better word. He's he kind of he go, grows from grumpy and contempt to just flat out admiring this woman. Um, so yeah, the scenes with them, uh, you know, slowly falling in love are the best stuff in the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, and I love that the way that you just described that as far as like the fencing match because it really is, and it's. Also interesting because he obviously he you know is has this manner and and um I mean manner like a building <laughs> but he also his manner like that's kind of interesting but um <laughs> uh 
Uh, anyway, off topic. But yeah, he has this and he's obviously in control. He gets his way. He doesn't usually have anybody kind of poke back if that's, you know, makes any sense. So yeah. he, he's really like just kind of transfixed by her because she, you know, he grills her in one of these early conversations and you can tell she's uncomfortable in a sense because she didn't know that he was the, um, you know, Mr. Rochester when she almost kills him with the horse. So when she finds out, she's obviously taken aback, but she holds her own and she's just really, um, mm-hmm. you know, she really is a very strong willed person. And I love the conversations with the two and some of like, um, the way that they express. And when I say poetic, I just think that's kind of the tone of language from this time period and especially yeah. in this type of books. But I just think not always does it come across with sincerity. Sometimes it feels like too much. And I think the dialogue here is, is wonderful. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my two cents on that. And also this is super dreary. I love it. Like it's, it's one of the like bleakest looking romances that I, I can think of. So, um, somehow I loved the, as I said, you know, the cinematography and everything as well. Um, but yeah, was there anything else that you wanted to add to this? Uh, also, just like starts out really strongly. Like the yeah. first, it goes like ten minutes without any. We we're talking about like this beautiful language, but like it goes like ten minutes without any dialogue in the opening. Is <laughs> just Mia Vasikovska trudging through these the harsh moorlands of the of the era, and uh, before you know, nearly dying in a torrential downpour, and she's saved by another potential suitor who's played by Jamie Bell. Um, and uh, she works with him and his sisters for a while before moving on to the uh, the Rochester estate. But um, yeah, I was uh, really kind of taken by the beauty of the film. Like, there's just a lot of gorgeous opening vistas and landscape shots. And um, yeah, like I said, it's handsomely mounted. It's a very it's a very gorgeously crafted picture, uh, and uh, just, just kind of makes me more excited to see uh, uh, No Time to Die. Which uh, also uh, Judy Dench, who played M for yes. most of the Brosnan and the Craig tenure, uh, appears as well in this film. She's um, Mrs. Fairfax, who's like the uh, sort of like the the head of the place when Rochester's away. She kind of delegates yep. the duties. She's she's good in as well. So yeah, she is. She's wonderful. Um, they have a you know like uh, kind of a fun, charming little relationship as well. Kind of mm-hmm. familial. Um, but yeah, it's it's actually. I just have to point out one of the things that I love is when he is grilling her. He says, "What's your tale of woe?" I find myself like quoting that movie without even thinking about it. But I just you know I love that she. You know, says she has no tale of woe, and she does. Um, you know, she's oh, she's, yeah, she's, she's been through the ringer. Orphaned, um, beaten, uh, just basically neglected at her own the yeah. at the place she grew up in. Um, yeah, but uh, no, it's it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a good good little sequence there in their relationship. It's uh it's very uh, from what I understand. Um, the real character of Mr. Rochester in the novel, a real character, it's fiction, but uh, the character originally is not, like, supposed to be this handsome man like Michael Fassbender is. So mm-hmm. it kind of gives uh, kind of gives the production a leg up to, to cast him because he is, you know, ultimately, who wouldn't want to be with uh, Michael, Michael Fassbender, especially right. in 2011. Peak well, Fassbender, she's supposed so to be, like, unattractive and plain. And it's yeah. Like, you know. I mean, yeah, no, I mean... It, <laughs> beautiful it's it's yeah it's yeah. it does have to work for them but um yeah i uh yeah i was really quite uh quite impressed with uh jane Eyre, and uh also i have uh, just maybe part of my negligence to watch any of these films like i often have a hard time following them but um mm-hmm. this uh even like when it jumps around with like its linear narrative um 
you, you still, I, I didn't really feel lost at all. It's, uh, it's all, it all comes together. Yes, indeed, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a pretty easy story to follow. Yeah. And there's also like these, uh, these Terrence Malikian flourishes of, uh, these voices that she hears that kind of guide her to, to do her, have her next move. Yeah. Um, like, you know, her past and her future, which, uh, I, uh, I admired that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Was there, um, so did you see this originally when it came out in theaters? Yes, I did. Uh, yep. Nice. Yeah, and it's one I revisit here and there. It's, uh, it was fun to revisit it again. Especially, you know, kind of back to back with all these. I, I actually timed it that way, which I don't always do. And so it was especially, <laughs> these, these four movies were especially, uh, effective, I suppose you could say. Yeah. Excellent. Well, is there anything else? Uh, yeah, like I said, I really enjoyed, uh, Jane Eyre, was there anything else that you wanted to add as a uh, as the fan of the, this film? No, I think I did a poor job <laughs> describing it in the beginning. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. It's because I was thinking like, what should I say and what shouldn't I say? Because I don't want to like spoil aspects of the film as far as the plot goes. And yeah, um, there's a lot of uh, he's keeping secrets. You know, yeah. we'll just say that. Um, so yeah, and there's definitely even more tales of woe once they mm-hmm. start <laughs> becoming intimately involved, but. Yeah, because yeah. there's weird stuff going on, you know, like a fire starts up. Uh, she thinks mm-hmm. she sees people think they see a ghost um, of a, a lady that's around. So, yeah, we'll just we'll leave that a uh, little mystery to uh, untie. And hopefully people do and go see Jane Eyre and then let yeah. us know what you think. Hey, from uh, Christy, a, a diehard fan and me, a uh, new fan. So we recommend it. All right. Uh, shall we move on to our uh, second film for the uh, evening? Yes, we shall. All right. Well, uh, I mean, if I liked uh, Jane Eyre, uh, I mean, I, I have to say that the next film, uh, one that I brought to the table, is a film that um, I not only do I absolutely love it, but I would firmly go on the record and state that this is one of the best films ever made. Uh, I Indeed. recommended, yeah, and Chrissy's reaction made me excited. Uh, yeah, because go ahead I and flex, Jake. <laughs> I'm, I, well, you know, it's happened before and it'll uh, hopefully happen again, but I recommended, uh, Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love, uh, from 2000, uh, tells the story. It's set in, uh, Hong Kong in 1962. Uh, it's set in these, uh, basically it's, there's these apartments above a, uh, a restaurant. Um, the restaurant is run and the landlady is run by, is Mrs. Soon. Uh, she moves in two couples. Uh, there is the, uh, the Chow family and the Chan family. Uh, and the Chan family has, uh, Maggie Chung is the wife. She has just married to Mr. Chan, who is typically away on business. And the Chow family consists of Tony Leung and his wife. And, uh, she's also frequently away. Uh, so they have left basically their spouses behind. And, uh, the two grow to know each other first, uh, on a friendly, you know, familiar basis, like, oh, hey, you're my neighbor. And then eventually they discover that, uh, their respective spouses are having an affair with one another. And the film delves deeply into the feelings that they have because of that, the film, the feelings that they have with each other, um, what they ought to do about it and, uh, all sorts of extraordinary stuff. Um, yeah, this is directed by the great Wong Kar Wai. This is, I believe, his uh, seventh film, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, uh, yeah, I am a huge fan of uh, Wong's, and I think he, make, he makes the, just some of the best, gorgeous films on the planet. 
Uh, Christy, I am dying to hear your thoughts. What did you think of In the Mood for Love? You're so much better at describing films. Maybe we should just assign you that role. But yeah, I I, I loved it. <laughs> um, I really, really loved it so much. And it's something that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since I watched it. So you can flex. It's cool. It's totally like makes no, sense. It's, <laughs> um, it's, not it's, a, it's not a contest. This is no, a, know, this is a podcast of, of love and sharing. This is, yes, you know, that, we're... No, that's what we'll pretend. Um, no, I'm just kidding. No, it's, it's, it really is. It's just, um, whenever you find a film, like, and I, I think I even, like, went online, it was, like, kind of, like, the equivalent of screaming it from the rooftop, but, <laughs> like, uh, exclaimed how much I loved it, but it's because I, you know, that doesn't always happen, but that's really why we do this, and to mm-hmm. also, um, as I, as I said, to kind of check those boxes off of films that we've been wanting to see, because this has been on a long list, and, you know, it gives us that extra push, especially when, you know, someone I, I trust their opinion really says you should watch this movie. So, yeah, yeah. no, I, I was really, really just taken aback by it. It was um, it's just such a beautiful film, it's such a moving, moving movie. And uh, yeah, I loved it. And I love so many of like the decisions, um, like the directorial decisions. And we'll go deeper into that as well. But obviously the performances are are, you know, stunning as well. So, yeah. yeah, this is a uh, blind spots I'm discovering is uh, becoming a stealth uh, Maggie Chung podcast because a few episodes back <laughs> I recommended Irma Vep, in which she plays the titular character, uh, and she's outstanding in that as well. Um, and quite uh, different, but yeah, quite different. It, very much a different film, but um, no, she's she and Tony Leung are just absolutely magnetic uh, in their in the two roles. Um, I, I I can't I couldn't think of a better pairing of a of a of a couple in any film ever. They're just so beautiful and extraordinary to watch. Um, there's these, these frequent interludes that, uh, they have, uh, where Wong Kar Wai shoots them in slow motion. Uh, yes. and it's guided by this, uh, um, this great, it's like the same uh, score. like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's this same, um, uh, or, or cat, what's, what's the word? Um, instrumental theme that just mm-hmm. kind of swoops and straws as, a lot of strings, a lot of very literally tugging on the heartstrings, um, <laughs> and also the instrument. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that too. But no, that just these sequences of them just kind of going about their lives, and they pass each other in hallways and like in the alleys of the neighboring noodle shop. And at first, things kind of grow into like just curt nods, like of acknowledgement. But uh, as as those go on, just these deeper feelings are more rooted into the characters' lives and especially with the revelations they both have about their own spouses. Um, it's like a, like a bombshell that hits both of them. Um, yeah. But yeah. And also it's, uh, it's funny cause like I've always just imagined this film as being like epic in scope. Like I know Wong Kar Wai has, he has just a lot of, he's made a lot of extraordinary films and I, you know, I think of like just, just compared to like uh, Chunking Express, which is another film of his that I love, and I believe you have seen, um, which yes. like goes all around Hong Kong and through restaurants and apartments and uh, like the the subway station. Um, but uh, In the Mood for Love, like, is primarily uh, shot in all these cramped locations. Um, it takes place in like the hall, like the hall outside of their apartments, um, in the uh, above the restaurant or like the you know, like kind of like the back alley of the hotel that they eventually start meeting at. 
Um, we never see their own their spouses on screen. Uh, it's usually just the back of their head and their dialogue yeah, is off I love screen. That. Um, I love yeah, that. and so like like they'll they'll the character will have a conversation with one in profile and they'll be standing outside of an apartment, but we don't ever see who they're speaking with. Um, but yeah, it's just the, the Maggie and the Tony show, and uh, uh, by God, is it the best thing ever made? Um, <laughs> I, it's just so much to go into it, and it's also a film that like has just been. I mean, like I said, this came out in 2000, and it's I I don't know if I could say or write anything new about it. Um, yeah, it's just as it's just really a landmark motion picture. Uh, it's a masterpiece, and. I I, I want to hear more of your thoughts about it. Was there any any particular sequences that that stood out to you or that you liked? Um, all of them. No, well, but yeah. <laughs> well, all, yes. I, I also just love how pause the pot. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> just gonna say, everyone, just pause the podcast right now and go watch it. It's, it's <laughs> and then come back. Phenomenal. Yeah, and then yeah. come back. But uh, uh, sorry, please continue. <laughs> no, I, I love I love so much about it. I also love the use of color too, um, as well oh, in that film. Oh, Right. His his <laughs> films look amazing. This is yeah. shot by um, his regular cinematographer is Christopher Doyle, uh, who shot most of the film. Uh, he's been working with him since uh, I think his first film or since Ashes of Time. Um, but uh, he had to leave production late into it, uh, and it was replaced by a cinematographer named Mark Lee uh, Pingbin. Uh, they're both credited at the end. Um, but uh, yeah, this film um, for like how it's like shot like i said it's just all in these cramped corridors it like took them like seven or eight months to shoot it uh which is uh insane if you if you look at like you know where the like the locations that they had and everything but um yeah apparently Wong Kar Wai just kept shooting the film over and over again until he got like the feel of each scene right and yeah Mm -hmm. the the color is it's it's just so beautiful it's so it's so like sumptuous is like the right word that comes to mind um, one of my favorite scenes is where they go to a restaurant together and they uh, each order for each other like their respective spouse's favorite dish. Yeah. And they're silently eating it. And there's just all these great close-ups of them cutting up the food and eating it. And like she eats like the, the yellow spicy sauce. Yeah. It makes commentary spice. about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, oh, it's, it's just so, it's so good. And, yeah. and like the, the ending floored me all over again i won't reveal but there's like there's a conversation that's had kind of late in the film that explains this practice about keeping a secret and then mm-hmm. like the very last scene in the film just the how it's put together and the music that plays over it um it really kind of knocked me over all over again and i i yeah. just I, it is just it kind of blew my mind back but uh it does it definitely floors you and and i actually i really love that he did shoot it in such like kind of cramped settings because I think it mm-hmm. kind of mirrors like their their longing and like um, the fact that they have to keep like you know the fact it's like small it's almost like they're trapped within their own emotions as well because yeah. they you know and it's so palpable too like the glances like you know certain movements and it's like I I don't again I don't necessarily want to like spoil it but I mean it's in the description that. They um don't want to stoop to the level of their spouses by actually mm-hmm. having an affair as far as like a physical affair, um, yeah. but they definitely fall in love and and it's so beautifully done like you can you can feel it as it throughout the film growing, and I just I love that and yeah so like unrequited longing is kind of a theme you might find when you're done with this episode but um 
it's just, uh, it's, it's a really, really gorgeous film that I, I just really loved. And there's a lot of terrific scenes like the one that you mentioned. Um, but yeah, so very, very happy. And the ending is definitely be ready to be floored by it because it was, uh, pretty emotional for me as well. So yeah, I got your reaction firsthand and, uh, (laughs) It's it's uh it's it's really just it's it's just so like like I don't want to sound cliche. It is just such a powerful movie. It is. Um, and it it kind of this is you know part of the joy of doing this podcast, but is just right. sort of not just rediscovering but revisiting why we love the films that we do. And yeah, and sometimes um, it's harder to talk about why we love them when they're this good, if that makes any sense, because it's like you have to experience it, and it's. Yeah, that's a, like that's like a, a a problem I run into frequently. Like the films I love, is that I just can't art like I can describe beat for beat what happens in this movie. I cannot arch- articulate exactly why I think it's beautiful. I mean, I I could say you know there's a lot of just close up shots of like hands touching like a, another hand or a wrist or a waist, and, and like just sort of just these shots of people in profile staring straight ahead and. Like, it sounds very banal as I describe it, but Wong Kar Wai just shoots it in the way that it, it just feels like the most fulfilling image ever committed to celluloid. And yeah. I, I just. It all I comes together. Yeah. It's yeah. just. It's hard to uh, break it apart and explain exactly why. It just works. That's yeah. the best way to say it. It's just. It, it's a. It's a terrific film. Really, yeah. really recommend it. I'm mad at myself for not having seen it sooner. I think I actually yeah. said that to you right after. Yeah, no, it's that's that's perfectly fine. I I mean, yeah, that's that's why we uh, that's why we do this to to finally kick things off our list. But um, yeah, I'm glad I've uh, turned you to a uh, in the mood for love uh, convert. Um, yeah, I don't want to as much as I would love to. I'm on the bandwagon. On the, yeah, hell yeah. Um, as much as I'd love to uh, keep going into this film, I think we should uh, move on to uh, our next one. Uh, Christy, what did you? What else did you uh, recommend this week? Yeah, so it happened. It was accidental. I didn't realize it, but it was also another uh, 2011 film um, mm-hmm. that was at Sundance. Uh, it's um, Like Crazy from mm-hmm. um, Yes from <laughs> You say it like you didn't know, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Drake. You're right. Uh, I know those. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's the uh, Drake Dormus film, and it stars Anton Yelchin. Um, just to throw it out there, if you haven't seen Love Anton, show the documentary about him. You should. It's uh, very also will floor you because it's very sad because he tragically died. But very very talented young man. Um, so it's him and uh, Felicity Jones, and mm-hmm. it's you know another romance um so they meet in college in los angeles and she's from the uk she's from london they fall in love um and the real the the one the thing that's keeping them apart is you know her visa and they have some issues with her being able to be in the states and it basically i don't think they actually specify how much time has passed throughout the film but it does go over a period of time uh, they keep having these hurdles and they have to be long distance. And it's basically like, you know, can they figure it out? Can they make it work? And yeah, I think that's a pretty good starting off point for a description. Um, I'm going to say that's a bump up from my last attempt. But yeah, no, I, I saw this film. Um, I didn't see it at that Sundance. I wish I could say I did, but, uh, I saw it not long after when it was available to watch. And it was a movie that's just, it stuck with me. I thought it was, uh, they have a lot of chemistry. I thought they were terrific in the film. And it's another story. I mean, you could say, you know, longing because they're 
you know, very far away from one another. And you can tell that they really like they're it's kind of similar to the movie we just talked about in the sense that I think you can you believe that they're in love. You can you can almost feel that like come off the screen. Um, I know you didn't quite feel that way, if I'm right, Jake. But um, I like. I, well, I, if you, for my sorry to come down from in the mood for love uh, to this, uh, no, I don't mean that. But um, I uh, I really liked the, hey. the two. I'm 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 kidding. I'm kidding. I really like the two leads in this film. Um, I think yeah, their chemistry is great. Um, and there's a lot of uh, moments uh, that they have together that I really quite liked. I think just my problem overall is the uh, the circumstances surrounding uh, the narrative in the film. Um, because you mentioned that, uh, yeah, so they're, they're the two college students um, who fall in love towards the end of their term. Uh, and I think basically they graduate. And the, the plan was because she was in the States with a, a school visa, mm-hmm. she was supposed to go back to uh, London after her semester finished. Um, but they decided they're too in love that she stays behind and jeopardizes her visa. And so I think they spend the summer together. And uh, she plans to just return to the UK for a week to see her parents, and then she was going to come back home. But when she does, um, they find that because she violated her school visa's stipulations, uh, she's uh, deported back to the UK. Uh, and then it becomes a uh, a matter of the uh, the long distance uh, transatlantic relationship that they uh, attempt to hold together. Um, but uh, the scenes with uh, uh, like Anton Yelchin, he's just such a kind of a sad reminder that he passed so young. Um, I, you mentioned the documentary on his uh, life. I was I was just looking it up because I had not even heard that that existed. Um, so I might have yeah, to. Yeah, uh, I actually covered it for the site, did an interview, but yeah, no. Oh wow. <laughs> what, um, what's it? Uh, what's it called? So our uh, listeners can uh, check it out. It's uh, Love Antoncha. Yeah, because um, that's how he would actually sign all his uh, his letters to his mother, which he wrote consistently. Um, obviously, it's said in with more of like a Russian love and toncha, but I don't I'm not Russian. So I didn't want to do that, even though I just did. But, yeah, it's a beautiful film. It's just really heartbreaking. So, you know, as you just said, it's a reminder because he, he really is so talented. But also you just get to know him so much more with this documentary and it just makes it even more um, just horrible. But definitely check it out. It's terrific. Um I could have actually said that for another blind spots, Jake, but well, just, uh, you know. Maybe that's a teaser. Uh, eh? We'll do a eh? documentary episode. Uh, um, actually, we haven't done that, so that might not be a bad idea. But um, I actually wouldn't mind seeing it again. But I do want to point out that this is an annoying thing in this film. I actually kind of felt like that when I watched it. I was like, man, this whole visa thing is so annoying because she, Blake, like, I know she doesn't want to leave and she loves him and everything, but it's a pretty stupid decision to you know, just stay, yeah. for, just, you know, break the rules there because unfortunately, and I, I understand why there are consequences to that. So it is an annoying thing. I think more mm-hmm. or less it doesn't like hurt the narrative to, for me. It's just something that I'm kind of like, really, why'd you do that? Like more at the character, like I'm annoyed. Yeah. With <laughs> I, I think to, to get on, definitely get on board with the film. Uh, that is sort of a hurdle you have to, uh, you have to overcome. Uh, I think your enjoyment is, uh, stems from, that uh from from that from that moment which is i think like comes arrives early on let's like the first act uh decision that she makes but um i mean hey it it worked for the uh the sundance uh jury in 2011 you could say they like love this film like crazy but um (laughs) 
Yeah, but, but uh, should you the, say that though? <laughs> <laughs> I, it got the top prize. No, I'm um, saying the making the bad but, joke, but no, it um, it uh, <laughs> um, it did get the top prize. So yeah, uh, I won't try to flex, but yeah, I think I think it's uh, worthy of it, and I I think it's just a you know sweet little indie. I mean, it's also a very sad film in a lot of ways, not just because of you know Anton, but just the story is just. It's sad. And, and again, I think you really believe their love. And there's these cute, I mean, it, you might call it like schmaltzy or whatever, but there's like some really cute stuff as far as when they develop their relationship. And like she, he's a, he makes chair, he makes her a chair. And for some reason, he, uh, that's that like, I really liked. I know. Like, and she makes him a book with like detailing their relationship. And it's just so sweet. And he gives her a bracelet that says like, uh, patience. So there's just like these, it really, again, tugs on the heartstrings at different times. And also we should point out Jennifer uh, Lawrence is also in this film. Yeah. Before pre, she was like pre, the, uh, you know, the like star between, that she's now. Yeah. It's weird how like she pops up between this film and Hunger Games to play second banana to Anton Yelchin's uh, character. She's, she's his uh, on and off girlfriend when, uh, Felicity Jones is in the, uh, the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, she's, I mean, we, yeah, we've been talking how, you know, how great Anton is in the short career he's had, but Felicity Jones is even probably more impressive to his film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she's quite, quite winsome. Um, I, I liked her performance as well. They have, yeah, just a lot of great sequences together. Um, and, uh, I, I did like, I did really like the chair. Uh, that he makes for it. It's just such a yes. sweet detail. Yeah. Do you like the uh, the montage of them uh, sleeping in the bed with in the different positions? When yes, they decide I do. To violate the. I feel like this is another film that I saw a lot of the trailer of because I remember every single trailer for this movie ends with like a snippet of that montage of just them in the different positions and ending. It's with also him a alone. gif or a gif, however you want to say it, that I see all the time. Yeah. Um, I think that's a debate, actually. I think it's technically supposed to be said GIF, but... Uh, it's GIF. We're moving on. <laughs> we don't want to get into that. I, I say GIF. I just didn't, you know, in case there was anyone out there in the GIF side, just wanted to, you know, shout it out. But, um, yeah, no, I actually love the use of montages in this film. Um, and, you know, I had seen that a lot because it is used commonly as a GIF. But I think it's funny because they say, she actually says, like, I'll stay and we can just stay in bed for three months. And it's basically like... This is what they did. Stay and then they did, yeah, <laughs> they do just that. I will say I do like how this film uh, is is edited about, um, like, it's a, it has a very, uh, like, for lack of a better word, there's sort of a lyrical detachment uh, to hold, having a lot of uh, just sort of a straightforward narrative. Um, like, there's another, there's a lot of little flourishes, like the montage, and there's another one where uh, it's like a time lapse of her standing in an airport, like waiting however long, the six months for him to return. And just as the world goes by around her, which is, which is kind of, which is kind of silly <laughs> if you think about it, because she would starve to death if she stood there. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it kind of works. Uh, I don't know if you like, like that bit at all or if I'm just crazy. I mean, it, I didn't put too much thought into whether or not she was going to starve to death, but you know, I, I get you there. Um, yeah. No, I think I think a lot of the little flourishes is what makes it uh, kind of special, and it's it's really um, kind of got a very intimate. I mean, it's obviously a, I think it's pretty low budget indie, but it has a a very yeah. kind of intimate feel to it as well in in how it's shot. So, I uh, yeah, I, I think it's a terrific film that people should watch, discover, um, and that's uh, you know I think you'd love it like crazy if you just. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, those she's not gonna work. But yeah. anyway. Well, yeah. the uh, yeah. Also, like the it's, title you know, it's, is cute. Where it's like how it comes up in the film, like the reason that it's like crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was also very cute. It's also the uh, it's kind of similar to in the mood for love, and that it is sort of takes place in just cramped apartment buildings and corridors. Uh, it's not very uh, or it's not very. Uh, wide in scope. It's it's very mm-hmm. intimate, like the conversation. It's also almost entirely shot uh, handheld. Um, yes. You know, with a few, few sta- or uh, what am I trying to say? Tripod shots for yeah. uh, for the more artistic stuff. But um, yeah, like like crazy. Check check it out. 2011 Sundance film fans, <laughs> or just people that want to watch two people fall in love and maybe fall yeah. out. I'm not gonna talk about how this movie ends, but. Um, it's a, it's a one to discover as, as these all are. <laughs> and on that note, we'll go to the interesting somehow ties in and then yet is completely different movie for our last one. Yeah. Well, shall we get into our last one? Yeah. Why not? All right. Well, here we go. Uh, yeah. So the fourth film, uh, and the second one I recommended, uh, is a film, another film that I absolutely adore. Uh, it is, uh, Jim Jarmusch's only lovers left alive. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Jim Jarmusch. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this movie. Uh, I think it might even be his best movie um, of all the ones I've seen, which is, I think, all but one. But, um, yeah, this uh, came out in 2013-14. Um, it's about uh, two vampires, uh, Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston, uh, living on opposite points on the earth. He's in Detroit. She's in Tangier. Uh, they've both been around for centuries, and uh, they finally uh, get together again after being apart for so long. And uh, the film is really just sort of uh, the existential woes of falling in love and being alive longer than most people on Earth, and how uh, one of them may want to uh, end their life because they are sick of it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Christy, what are your, uh, initial thoughts on, uh, Only Lovers Left Alive? Yeah, Tom Hiddleston is not a happy vampire when this movie stops, starts. Um, but yeah, he's, you know, I mean, it's, it can't be easy to be immortal, right? Um, but yeah, no, I, I love this film as well. And this was another one that was on a list that I've been meaning to hit. I mean, just by the description alone, it's kind of like screams Christy. So it's annoying that I hadn't seen it yet. But again, blind spots. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. I think, I mean, Tilda Swinton's always amazing. Like, let's just be honest. I I, I want to call her like Queen Tilda Swinton. Um, but she, you know, is terrific in this film, as is Tom Hiddleston. And you know, it's it's a really like I didn't expect. I I, I wanted to see this movie. I knew about it, but I purposely didn't like read anything because it had been a while, so I didn't know much about it going in. It was definitely like. Um, you know, more like moody, and I mean that in a positive way, than I expected it to. And uh, I had just watched your other recommendation right before, so, you know, it was a little bit, like, uh, rough going in at first. But it, it changes as well, because there's, like, some wonderful elements of humor, but also their relationship, um, once the characters come back together, because they are living apart. He's a yeah. he's a rock star, but he doesn't want anyone to know he is, and he lives in the middle of nowhere, and uh, this like kind of rundown building, and there's so many little eccentricities about his character that I love as well, and they call human zombies, which was one of 
like something that I just adored about it. I love think that, that the script and is another is another element that I just love the uh, the dialogues because really that's what this movie is. I mean, it's not your normal vampire movie. It's not like they go around killing people and taking their blood. So it's more really it is more like about existential crisis you could say or reflection yeah. on life and and um you know as soon as she realizes that he needs her um because he's going through a difficult period she she they get back together and and uh from there you know it's a it's a really another beautiful film it's just a very different you know it's a really kind of uh just quirky and it not quirky is not the right word i guess just eccentric in a way but it's it's really quite lovely um yeah. it's another one i really enjoyed that was uh, that was really well put, Christy. You're, you're something of a wordsmith yourself, if I do say so myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, with the exception of um, The Dead Don't Die, which is the last film he made, um, I've pretty much loved all of Jim Jarmusch's work. Um, I know some people may not, but he, the way he, just like the way he makes movies and the choices he makes, uh, connect with me in ways that I fully comprehend as like saying yes that is correct uh it's it's really more of um uh, it's it is kind of more of a uh god this i I can't even i can't even speak to it it's just uh, he has such a a particular style and like i i think like idiosyncratic is definitely i think maybe uh, that was the word i was looking for Yeah. yeah it's the one that popped in my head um but uh it, it, his reactions, I guess, they're more uh, more visceral than they would be uh, intellectual, yet his films also come off as intelligent to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all very um, beautifully made. Uh, this film in particular is just gorgeous. Uh, and, like, I, I know nothing about instruments, but, um, like, near the opening of this film, Tom Middleton is visited by our old pal Anton Yelchin, uh, who's also like, accidental. Uh, we didn't yeah. plan that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also, yeah, and uh, Jane Eyre might uh, pop up in this film later on. But, uh, yeah, he plays uh, Ian. He's like this uh, kind of like rocker guy who uh, he's he's the only one of the only two human contacts that um, uh, Tom Hiddleston's character. Well, we should mention that Tom Hiddleston, his name is Adam and Tilda Swinton is Eve. Yes. Uh, so yes. you could infer they are like the two original humans that are still trapped on Earth. Um, with their curse. But, uh, yeah, so um, Anton Yelchin frequently brings guitars and instruments and other any other requests to Tom Hiddleston that he makes. And, like, as I was saying, I know nothing about instruments. This movie makes me love guitars more than anything else. Just, like, the way they're lovingly displayed, how they're held, the when they describe the material they're made out of, and, uh, like, just... It's. I don't know about you, but like, no, I it just, is. I it's, love that. I do too. It's actually not just the guitars too. It's something about, and I think it makes a lot of sense, honestly, because I think if you live long enough, um, yeah. you appreciate, you can appreciate the details more. Because there's also a lot of times where they talk about specific songs as well, and um, yeah. I don't know. There's just there's something very, uh, very, very beautiful about that. And yes, of course, I was like, please keep talking about guitars. <laughs> I, yes. I was totally in that. Um, just when yeah. he. Shows up and opens those four guitar cases, and like I, I don't know what, what the names are, but there's a white one, there's a blue one, there's a very beautiful like old wooden one that, um, one of the one of the things with uh, also adding to like the vampire lore uh, that Jarmish does is that he has uh, the vampires can all sense things with their hands, 
um, like uh, Tilda Swinton's character, she is she just basically lives inside of a mountain of books in her Tangier apartment. And uh, when she packs up, she is uh, she starts gathering all these books and she just rubs her hands over all the pages. And it's like she's getting the essence of the story of not like the text itself, but just everything that the book has been through. Um, and, and they have to, like, they kind of, they wear gloves as well as sunglasses when they go out at night as a means of protecting their own hands. But, um, what did you think of the hands thing? I just, I, I just love the, that little touch that she can like hold something and, and tell you how old it is with her own radiocarbon dating <laughs> fingerprint. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And it kind of ties into the same thing. Like you just said with the guitars, I think it's just like an appreciation in a sense, a deeper yeah. appreciation of, of what, um, you know, of culture, of different different elements. And I thought it was a really cool addition. Uh, I was, it's it's funny because Anton's character at one point says something about, you guys have some really cool gloves. Like, where do you get those? And they just, you know, they don't answer. Yeah. <laughs> we won't get into that. Um, too yeah. much to explain. And it's so funny too, like that he doesn't know he's a vampire, but there's so much, so much odd, like mm-hmm. things like you, you have to, like you have to know something's up. Like his bathroom is never working because, yeah. you know, he doesn't need it. Um, But he, you know, I think he has this thing where, you know, he, part of the depression is is kind of caused by uh, society, um, mm-hmm. us zombies. And yeah. but at the same time, she often reminds him there's a, a lot to appreciate, a lot of things that we've you know accomplished and created that um, and there will be more. And I thought that that was a really kind of uh, beautiful idea kind of weaved in there. Yeah, his uh, his uh, his hatred of the zombies, as he put it, puts it, is great. Um, we should say that they also live their lives very carefully, um, and they do need blood to sustain themselves. Uh, he goes out and he visits. Uh, he has like an old hospital gown that he dons, and he visits a hospital where a Jeffrey Wright works in a lab and gives him some uh, canisters filled with uh, like fresh O negative blood. Uh, and then also, um, Tilda Swinton, she is palling around with, uh, Christopher Marlowe, who's a 16th century playwright. Uh, he's still alive and on the earth. He's played by John Hurt. Uh, he's great. They enjoy dining on blood in, uh, Tangier. And every time the vampires drink blood, they kind of have like this moment of euphoria where the, the camera follows them back as they, it's, it's like a drug to them. Um, right. But, Blood uh, never yeah. looked so good. <laughs> yeah, I know it does, and um, and then also midway through the film, they're joined by uh, uh, Eve's sister Ava, who's played by Jane Eyre, Mia Wasikowska. Uh, she's really reckless in her vampiric ways. She lives in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, one gets the sense that she is very much a part of the nightlife there, whereas Tom Hiddleston is a shut-in. Um, but uh, yeah, she kind of really throws a spoiler into their. Uh, into the little secret enterprise that they have going on. I won't get yeah. too deep into it, but yeah. And they know uh, it too when she comes. They know she's bad news. So clearly yeah. this is not like the first time that she's done this. And she's more of like the, um, I don't want to say quintessential, but more of the kind of vampire characters that you've probably seen in other things as far as being reckless and not caring um, yeah. about what they, what they do, which, you know, that ego of, you know, immortality, like it's like almost like the, uh, the Tom Cruise um, version versus the, the Brad Pitt. The Scott. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it, actually, it's a perfect example, I think, because it's like we can do whatever we want. And then on the opposite side, you know, they're not killing people. Well, anyway, they don't really kill people throughout the movie. I don't want to um, spoil something about that, but they they don't want to. They find other means. And something about the blood that I also thought was really interesting is they can they can get like bad blood. 
Um, and also they, yes. they have like the, uh, it's almost like a fine wine or something. There's also like the, uh, the really good blood, you know? Um, so that was an interesting thing as well. A little detail that I enjoyed, um, about the film. Yeah. Ava mentions getting sick off of some blood she drinks later in the film. And, uh, they, they say the character she drank from is like, well, what do you expect? He's in the music industry. Right. So yeah. There, they say it's contaminated. Is, so I don't yeah. really know what that entails, but, but some blood is just not good. Yeah. That's also just part of part. Maybe probably adds to uh, like Tom Hiddleston's disdain for us zombies is that they don't uh, they don't keep their bodies clean and they're ruining art. And uh, he, he you know he wants to make good art, but uh, I also like that he's a bit of a an a kind of a a, a whiz with uh, electronics. Yes, um, I love like that. Tilda Swinton has an iPhone and she FaceTimes him, but like he somehow connects an old handset phone to like a 1960s television set and then like another camcorder and he's able to FaceTime with her as well yeah. just with his own with his own wiring uh genius I um, love those which, little which nuances of the characters cuz I also think it's a great way to kind of show that they have been around for a long time you know and he yeah. he for some he does not like technology like new technology it's oh, it's something yeah. that really annoys him if he if he notices like I can't remember how he phrases it, but like certain wires or and stuff like running out of a, a building like catches attention and he's just like disgusted by it. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> he doesn't like, like modern our, advancements. Like, exactly. Like telephone lines are, are just horrendous to him. Yeah. Um but yeah, and but also like just with all this all these idiosyncrasies and these quirks, but yeah, this is just a very it's just uh, also ends up being like a very sad film about, you know, the the state of being alive longer than you want to and uh yeah. where you you kind of reach a breaking point where you request for a wooden bullet to be made so you can fire it into your chest with a handgun um but uh yeah. which is uh, something that comes up but yeah did you have any other thoughts on only lovers left alive that you'd like to share yeah, I'm going to sound like a really big nerd, but I also love the ending. I'm not going to say exactly like the final shot, even though um, oh, I did yes. love the final shot. But I also love that they talk about quantum entanglement, um, that uh, physics uh, element. I just thought it was I'm not going to go into what that is because I can't I can't explain explain it wonderfully. But it's perfect for the ending because it kind of shows I don't know. I just think it ties in their story, their relationship, their thought process really well. Uh, I just thought that was a really interesting intelligent as you said um his films are choice to do at the end uh but yeah that, that was the other thing and this also is sad but it can be fun at times it's um like i love the scene where they're like uh dancing uh she's kind of like trying to cheer him up a little bit and yeah there's some there's some um sweet moments with them yeah well. i i love the final shot as well yes it's, it's uh it's just perfect uh, it, it, it makes total sense. Um, it does. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. W with that, uh, I mean, is there any anything else you wanted to? Actually, yeah. On? Last thing oh. is the. Oh, um, it was just the same scene. They're watching a couple like intimately, like making out, kind of just like holding each other on the street, and they're also kind of talking about they can be beautiful as well, zombies. So I just thought that was a nice um, kind of you know other side of the coin again. Yeah. You know, part of the ending. So. Um, but no, that's, that's, that's all I've got. Should mention that, um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of appreciation of music in the film. Um, Jim Jarmusch is also a musician. Uh, he's in a band called Squirrel, which is spelled S-Q-U-R-L. And I think there's even an umlaut over the U. 
Um, so I, a lot of the music is contributed from his band. And then also uh, at the end, they're in uh, Tangier, um, and uh, Hiddleston just s- stops to watch this woman yes. uh, perform this song. And uh, the film just kind of stops with him and just watches just her perform this really beautiful song. I don't have the... I, I neglected to write down the name of the artist who does it, but um, yeah, it, like you mentioned, they, there is still some beauty left uh, in this world. Yeah, and, he's uh, so like he's like floored by it. He like just yeah. drifts towards it when he starts hearing it, and you definitely do with him. You, yeah. you kind of get lost in that song. It's it was another you know beautiful moment. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's uh it's a very uh very musically inclined film. But uh, yes. yeah, I uh, highly recommend it. And if you're even if you're not a fan of uh, Jim Jarmusch's sensibilities, if you've not seen this, I would still recommend this. I think this is one of his more accessible films. Mm-hmm. Um, just, uh, just don't be like expecting a lot of vampire action. Right. It's, it's kind of more dealing with the weight of like having to live forever than it is like the lost boys where it's about exploring your powers. It's right. Which is also story, awesome. So. Just yeah. don't, <laughs> but no, definitely very, very different. It's, it's, it really is like dealing with the weight of, of life in a lot yeah. of way. Um, even though they're not technically living, I don't know how you'd phrase that but if you're they're immortal but they you know they don't really go into too much about their like because you know how every vampire story has like kind of you know rules or like details about it they don't really do that they just kind of show you certain things at different times and you just kind of make assumptions but i like that element kind of like even just adam and eve it's like is are they really like the first or um you know i you know i don't know there's just a lot to uh to take away from it and to keep you thinking, which which is interesting. And it really is like a very different take on this kind of subgenre, as you will. Um, it's definitely yeah. exploring. And as you said, I think it is more accessible too. So um, don't, you That's, know. That is yeah, totally perfect how you sum that up. Yeah, there is a lot of just a lot of, and it goes back to what I said about, I think Jim Jarmusch is an intelligent filmmaker. There's just a lot of influ- inferences to be made about how they live their lives and it's not spelled out like they don't ever say we can't do that because it's daylight outside and the sun will kill us whereas in the film we do see them they do they can board planes and take flights but they do specifically ask for night flights so you kind of realize oh the sun can still uh, harm or kill them so they have they still have to do some stuff that is tied to vampire lore but their the film is not uh, does not stress their rules in in terrible expositional dialogue right yeah and um, there's a thing to, i mean that's good sometimes movies do too much exposition like i yeah. actually like when you can ascertain these things just from the experience and maybe not know a lot of it and that's fine the mystery works here absolutely yeah, yeah. so uh check it out listeners but, uh, all right. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that does it for, uh, this episode. Is there uh, anything else that you wanted to add, uh, Christy? No, just that this was a really, uh, fun, but <laughs> it's not the right word because it's sad as hell. Um, four movies to watch. I just, I really enjoyed these picks and I think that it was, I think anybody out there would really like at least all of these films. I don't know that there's much you can really, especially obviously there's the one that's the masterpiece, as we said, but um, even if it's not a masterpiece, you know, these all have something to offer. So if you're in the mood for love, um, I would check out these movies. I agree. Well said. Um, well, was there any uh, anywhere on social media you'd like people to find you and reach out, should you wish to be found? Yeah. 
Um, I'm lost. It's uh, at Strauss, which is S-T-R-U-S-E underscore Christy, K-R-I-S-T-Y. You can also find at Filmingcree, as well as our site, which is just filmingcree.com. And on Instagram, I, I'm sorry, those are Twitter. But on Instagram, it's uh, at Christy on film. Because that's Excellent. what I'm doing. I'm on film. Excellent. I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, at Jake Tropila on all things, J-A-K-E-T-R-O-P-I-L-A. Uh, hit me up. Let me know what your favorite Jim Jarmusch film is. Uh, we'll talk we'll talk shop. Um, but yeah, also uh, we would appreciate it. Uh, if you did enjoy the show, uh, whatever uh, platform you're on, please subscribe and keep listening. Uh, we'll keep turning out episodes as uh, often as we can. We do enjoy doing this, and uh, I think uh, this episode was a lot of fun. Uh, also, please uh, give us a rating. Uh, we do like five stars. I believe that is the minimum allow- amount you're allowed to put nowadays. Yes, uh, so make, yes. sure you click off, make sure you click off that five-star box and let us know which shot in uh, in the mood for love uh, was your favorite. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, – and also, please be sure to check out the website, filmacquarie.com, and subscribe there if you haven't already. Uh, and I think that'll do it for us uh, this time. We will catch you next time on the next Blind Spots. Yeah, this was so much fun. And thank you for listening. Keep safe and watch films. Bye. Bye.